I'm sure you're you're well aware of this, but it's it's December now. Uh, yeah, right. Where did where did this year go? Um, but we're, we're we're full on into the Christmas season. You know, everywhere you look, there's there's Christmas music playing uh, in all the stores. There's Christmas movies all over TV. And I, I have to admit, I'm not a huge fan of Christmas movies. Uh, but there are there are a few that I'm like okay these are these are some good ones so there's uh, you know like I like I like Elf um, there's the Star Wars holiday special yes that is a thing it's awful uh, but I love it um, but but my my favorite has to be uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol it's just classic I grew up with that one uh, and uh, it, it's great because it takes this this classic story and puts Muppets in it, so it's who you can't go wrong. Um, but of course, the we're, we're probably all fairly familiar with uh, with the story, and uh, it's about this character named Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's uh, he's this miserly old man that kind of keeps all his money to himself, and he's really hard on his workers, and he goes through this experience of. Uh, meeting the ghosts of, of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future and sees what his life is like and, and, and gets this outside perspective on his own life and, and realizes that he needs to change. And at the end, he you know becomes a generous man and everybody has warm fuzzies and it's great. Um, so and, and so you know it's a it's a nice heartwarming tale and then of course you throw in some Muppets and it becomes even better. Um, but uh, it, it's actually a, a similar story to to something that we find in Luke. And uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, going through this series called Jesus the Theologian. And uh, what we're talking about uh, over, the, over the past couple of weeks and uh, into next week as well uh, is a couple of stories in Luke that are unique to Luke's gospel. Uh, that Stories that nobody else, like none of the other gospel writers, uh, included in their gospels. And... Uh, we we've been we've been talking about these, and uh, as, as we've been going through the series, we've been learning a lot and having a lot of fun with that. Uh, so this morning, we uh, if you are on our on our website or on the tablets in front of you, in the today's message section, right at the bottom, there's a, a question box. If you've got any questions or comments as we go through the message this morning, feel free to send those in, and uh, we'll get to those at the end. So this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, at Luke 12 and uh, verses 13 through 21. And it goes like this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, invite, to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said, uh, and he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
So th- this whole thing kicks off with uh, with this guy who who kind of interrupts what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus is, is preaching, and this this story is is actually an interjection where uh, it's kind of an unexpected thing that this guy just kind of like shouts out, "Jesus, do this for me!" and uh, we don't know exactly what the situation is. All, all, all we know is that there's some dispute over the inheritance and uh, that these two brothers are disagreeing about who gets what and, and how that's all going to play out. Now, this actually would be kind of a common thing. Uh, it, w- it was a fairly, fairly common practice for people to go to their rabbi to, uh, to mediate minor disputes. Uh, things that wouldn't need them to go to, like, take it to, like, a court or a government level, they would take to the rabbi. So it wasn't out of out of the ordinary for people to bring these kinds of uh, disputes to uh, to their teachers, to people like Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus was no ordinary rabbi. And, and, and he looks deeper, and he looks into the heart of the matter. And, and Jesus knows that just making a, a simple arbitration, just saying, you know, like split the inheritance, do it this way. He knows that's not actually going to solve the problem that this guy has uh, because it wouldn't have gotten to the root. It wouldn't have solved the covetousness that is in this man's life. Um, and, and so he he digs into it and Jesus knows, um, and, and somebody once said that the, the pursuit of wealth is, is similar to drinking salt water. The more you have, the more you want. And so Jesus knows this kind of thing. He knows that uh, this is is the heart of the matter. And the reality is that the guy in the crowd, the guy who's asking this question, uh, he doesn't really want to like change his life in any way. He just wants Jesus to say, give him like this yes or no definitive decision. Uh, But but of course, Jesus looks at the heart of what's behind there, behind the question. and, And then he launches into this parable. And so... Uh, as Jesus tells this story, he he points out you see a couple things about uh, about this rich man, and and Jesus tells this story and he, and uh, the rich man first thing that you, you can see is this guy is completely self centered. Uh, if you notice how how he reacts, how the rich man reacts to to the thing that happens to uh, all of a sudden he has this newfound wealth, this this bumper crop that happens. He reacts very selfishly. So, like, notice in the passage how many times he says, I or my. Uh, he says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my goods and my grain. And I will say to my soul. It's, it's all through there. He's, the guy's not thinking about anybody else. It's, there's no mention of his family, no mention of his workers, no mention of the poor, no mention of the church or the, the synagogue. There's no mention of any of that. It's, it's all me, 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 me. And so this guy, he, he has this attitude that is, he is the center of the universe and nothing can take him out of there. Now second, his, this newfound abundance that he has uh, is a source of distress. Um, suddenly he has, he has so much extra that it actually is a problem for him. Uh, it, it's, it's causing him to, to kind of lose sleep and he's like, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to solve this problem? And in his mind, the best course of action uh, is to do a whole lot of extra work. He wants to just tear down his barns completely and rebuild new ones. Not even, like, just expand his existing barns, not even, you know, build an extra one or two, but just, like, tear down and start over. 
because he he's he's that much he's got that much extra and and that actually leads to a, a third thing is that it's well over and above what he needs to, to survive now uh the, the word that Jesus uses to, to describe the rich man is actually uh, a term that means more of like a landowner than somebody who's just like a simple farmer. It's not just, you know, a guy with, you know, his family, his family hobby farm. This is a guy that owns tons of land. Like he would, uh, this would be kind of like more of uh, the idea of a lord that this guy owns property all over the countryside. And, and so clearly... Um, his existing barns, uh, they've, they've been sufficient for him so far because they haven't, he hasn't had this problem before. He, he's, he's always had the space and the resources that he needs. But now suddenly um, with this bumper crop, he, he's decided I need to, you know, do, uh, tear down my barns, do all of these things because it's so much in excess of what he actually needs. And the fourth thing that, that he does is he actually, he fails to acknowledge the source of of the abundance so uh you know maybe he did all the all the right things uh if you've ever uh lived or worked on a farm you understand that um, there are certain things that you can control you can control when you plant and when you fertilize and when you harvest and all these things those are things that you can control to kind of maximize uh the the amount of crops that you you get but there are a lot of things that are beyond your control. You can't control the weather. You can't control the seasons. You can't control uh, any bugs that uh, might eat the crops. Whatever it is, you, there's a whole lot that you can't control. And uh, so, so you can create this good environment for crops to grow, but ultimately it's God who actually makes them grow. And, and the, the, the rich man completely fails to acknowledge this. Uh, he doesn't doesn't acknowledge it, doesn't thank God in any of this, and uh, so uh, uh, in, in reading this passage, there's a um, an author named Warren Wearsby, and he says this: money does not necessarily solve problems; it created new problems for this farmer. It's not a sin to be wealthy, but it is sin to make wealth your god. Note the emphasis the farmer gave to himself: wealth can be a window through which we see God, or a mirror in which we only see ourselves. It can make us generous or selfish, depending on what is in our hearts. And God knows all this. So God, uh, in this passage, God actually steps in. And because this is a parable, you know, God, Jesus can actually have God be a character in the story and speak directly uh, to this man. In, uh, and God says this. He, he calls the man a fool. Uh, for the man has not accounted for one of the big things. He hasn't accounted for his own inevitable demise. His eyes are, are so fixed on, on his own well-being and his own happiness, and he, he's expecting to live this good long life. He's like, I've got all of this stuff that I've got, the, you know, this, these uh, crops in my barns. I've got money in the bank. I am set for the next however many years. It doesn't, we don't know exactly what he was anticipating, but we know that he was anticipating, like, I am going to be set for the rest of my life. And, uh, and God goes, well, you're right, uh, because your life is forfeit. It's, it's done tonight. Um, so he, at least he was right. He, you know, he had enough to carry him through to the end of his life. Uh, but it wasn't as long as he thought it was. Now, the reality is none of us know. None of us have any, any idea of, of how long that we have. And, 
anytime you you hear stories uh, of somebody young uh, that dies from whatever, whether it's it's disease or accident or, or whatever the case, you'll hear this phrase, you know, they they were taken before their time or they're gone too soon. And none of us is guaranteed a long life. We, uh, we all have. I, I, I assume we've all experienced things where we know somebody who, as these uh, these kind of cliched things say, that they were they were taken too soon. Um, I'm sure many of us have have been in experiences where uh, you see something happen that it's like that could have been me. That 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 flip of a switch. That thing that happens so quickly. I could have been in that position. Uh, a few years ago, I uh, I had an experience where I witnessed an accident where I saw a child get hit by a car, and I, I that was a, a turning point for me because it was a, it was a realization that you know we all have these these uh, these ideas of like what we're going to do in the future and, and and the plans that we have, but all of it can be taken away so quickly. And and the rich man he he didn't account for this. In in the end, he didn't get all of the things that he had worked for. And it would have fallen to somebody else to distribute all of the wealth that he had suddenly gotten. And, and this actually ties back to, uh, to Ecclesiastes. And, and Solomon had actually written about this, and he said this, I had hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything behind to be enjoyed for someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Real uplifting book. Uh, so uh, so th- the question then becomes, how does this affect us? How do we, how do we take this story and, and see how it works uh, in modern life? See, see what it means to us in our context. And, and I have to admit, my, my first inclination when I read this passage is, is to soften it, because to be honest, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, we're we're all fairly well aware that, according to North American standards, not many of us would be considered rich. But when you look at at us compared to most of the world, we have so much. And, and the the message of this passage is it's offensive to our society. Uh, you, you look around in our society, especially this time of year, and, and it's easy to see uh, the consumeristic bent of our culture. It, it's easy to see uh, how, how, how much we rely on our things, on our stuff, and um, it, it, especially, like I said, this time of year. Um, I, my other job, I work at the mall in Newmarket, and the day after Thanksgiving, like Christmas exploded all over the mall. Uh, all the Christmas decorations were up. Christmas music was playing everywhere you went. And it's just like we go straight into this season and it's just like flip the switch. And and every store is trying to get you to come in and buy your, buy your stuff, buy your Christmas presents here, um, consume. 
and uh, there, there was also a, a comedian who talked about this. I can't. I'm not going to tell you who it is because I can't really endorse most of most of his stuff. But he he did <laughs> he does this whole uh, he did this he did this really insightful bit where he's talking about our stuff and how how much we. Uh, we love our stuff and, and our whole lives are oriented around our stuff. And, you know, I have this pile of stuff. And so I have a house, which is a place for my stuff. And when I leave, I have to lock up my stuff so that nobody comes and takes my stuff. And, and he keeps going on and on. And eventually, you know, he's going on for about 10 minutes and the word stuff has no meaning anymore by the end. Uh, but it's, it's, it, it, it's you look at it and it's like it's kind of true there's a whole industry uh, around you know you have too much stuff so you take it somewhere and you pay somebody else to store your stuff and it, we have we have so much now one of the interesting things that that I've noticed especially over the past couple of years is there's uh, there's been an interesting trend where we see in culture uh, waves and shifts and, and how one generation will react to the way that the previous generation did things and and, and something that's kind of been on the rise over the the past few years has been uh, I, the ideas of, of minimalism and you know the tiny house movement and and kind of getting rid of your stuff and and simplifying your life and and your possessions and uh, a lot of people are, are realizing that the the promises of our culture that you know more stuff is going to make you happy it's not they're not coming to fruition they're they're empty promises and, and one of the the ironic things that I, I've I've seen with it as well is that there are there are books out there about how to do this about how to simplify your life so you buy stuff that tells you how to get rid of your stuff but uh, but that's, that's a different story uh, but the bottom line here is what uh, what Jesus says in the last line of the passage he says so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God but what does that mean uh, so, so Jesus allows that material things are necessary for life. You know, you you have to have a place to live. You have to have clothes to wear. You need to have food to eat. Uh, but a greater abundance of things does not lead to a greater abundance of life. So uh, Jesus realizes that, you know, this is, you know, the more stuff you have doesn't necessarily mean the happier you're going to be or, or uh, the more you're going to be able to uh, to live a, a godly life by by having more stuff, and and in this passage, it's actually also pretty important to consider the context. So I, I mentioned that this is kind of an interjection that that the guy who who speaks out in the crowd he he's kind of interrupting what Jesus is saying, and and the passage, if you look at the the surrounding passage, uh, Jesus is talking about money and possessions and and trusting God because it's actually kind of sandwiched between two passages about. Uh, trusting God to provide for your needs. And and so when you read it in the context, the, what Jesus is saying is uh, trust trust God with what you have, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. Trust God with what you have. And, and there are surrounding passages talk about not worrying because God will take care of you. So on one end of the spectrum, you have worry because you don't have enough. And on the other end of the spectrum is uh, is covetousness where you have too much. And uh, and Jesus is kind of like advocating for this this middle ground. And again, Warren Wiersbe he he sums it up well. He says, "What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to acknowledge gratefully that everything we have comes from God, and then make an effort to use what He gives us for the good of others and the glory of God. Wealth can be enjoyed and employed at the same time if our purpose is to honor God." 
Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to go uh, classic Pentecostal on you this morning and, and give you three A's. Um, so how, how does this affect us? First, acknowledge that all we have comes from God. One of the, the flaws that the rich man had was that he failed to acknowledge that it was God that had given him all of this, uh, all of this newfound wealth, all of the, the good things that he had received. He failed to acknowledge the source. Um, and, and whether it's a, a lot or a little, this is actually something that we tend to overlook. We, we have a day that we call Thanksgiving, that we, all, we sit and we, we celebrate and we, we take time to, to thank God for the things that he's given to us, but often we can actually fail to acknowledge that the rest of the year. And, and that can be a problem when we, uh, when we only spend one day being thankful for what we have um, instead of living a life that's filled with gratefulness. And, and it's a good reminder for us to be thankful for, for what God's given to us. Uh, but if we're if we're only doing that one day a year, that's that's a bit of a problem. Second, uh, align with God. So as we as we acknowledge God and and thank Him for what He's given to us, we we can also ask and say, God, what uh, what are you doing? How do you want? Uh, how do you want me? How do you want our family to to use these blessings that you have given to us? Uh, discern what God wants because. He could be blessing you for the sake of being like, you've done a lot of great things for, for the kingdom. Here's a blessing for you. But he could also be saying, I'm giving you this blessing so that you can turn around and use it as a blessing for others. And uh, I can't tell you which one is which because that's, that's honestly one of those things that's between you and God. But uh, as we align with God, as we listen for his voice, as we listen to his heart, we'll, we'll learn, we'll understand what it is that he's asking us to do. And then third, allow him to do it. Allow God to, to do the work that, that he's asking you to do. If, if As you align your heart with his, it's all well and good to do that alignment, but if, uh, if we don't actually do the things that God's asking us to do, there's not really a point in aligning. We have to, we have to allow God to do what it is that he wants to do. And whether or not you think it's the right thing to do or whether or not you think it'll be effective, just allow God to do it. So allow God to do it. Do, do what it is he's asking you to do. Because in reality, it's all his anyway. Uh, when, when we acknowledge that the gifts come from God and not from us, then it's a lot easier for us to, to hold it with an open hand and say, you know what, God, do, what, do with it what you want to do. And you're just hanging on to it for a while. And speaking of hanging on to it, you can hang on to it all you want. But just like the rich man, when you die, it goes to somebody else. It's not yours anyway. So this morning, just I just want to wrap it up and say, be, be rich towards God. Be generous with what he's entrusted to you. Allow God to use it however he sees fit. And Jesus closes it well. Uh, a, a few verses later in this passage, again, after this kind of this interruption has happened and, and Jesus goes back to what he was talking about, uh, he, he says this, and, I, and I'll close with this. Uh, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and when, we, when we treasure the things, when we treasure the stuff, uh, that's what our lives become about. But when we treasure God, when we treasure what he is doing, when, he, when we treasure... Uh, how how he wants to bless others through us, that is where our heart will be. 
that is where our, our hearts will be softened towards the needs of others. That is where we'll see brokenness and injustice in the world and want to make change and want to do what we can with what we've been given to bless others and, and to live lives of generosity. So God, this morning, we thank you. We thank you for the blessings that you have given to each and every one of us. We acknowledge that, that what we have comes from you. And God, this morning, we, we allow you to do what you want to do with it. We allow you to, to take it. We hold it with an open hand and we say, God, whatever, whatever you want to do with this, your will be done, not mine. So God, help us to be open to, to hearing what you are saying, to listen for your heart as, as, we, as we acknowledge that all we have comes from you. And God, whatever you want to do, God, we, we allow you to do it. We, we allow you to have, uh, to have dominion over, over, our, over the wealth that we have. What, even if we don't think that it's a lot, even if by our culture standards it, it doesn't seem like much, God, we allow you to use it. And we give it to you. Do with it what you will. In Jesus' name, amen.